Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And a reminder that during the pandemic, we're recording this show in advance, so we won't be taking any calls today. Well, to this, this afternoon, I'm really happy to welcome some folks who can um, help us think about tackling climate change at the local level. And uh, I'm here with us are Lawson Wilson. Lawson is with the Climate to Thrive, uh, located on Mount Desert Island, but working statewide. We also have um, Tony Ferrara with the Climate Action Net um, in the Blue Hill Peninsula and the islands nearby. Martha Dickinson is with us from the Ellsworth Green Action Team. Hank Reisner is with the Belfast Climate Crisis Committee. And Anya Wright is with the Maine Climate Council, but also working in Bar Harbor and with the Sierra Club. Welcome to all of you. I'm so glad you could be with us this afternoon. What I'd like Good to do is around. for each of you to give a little kind of background on yourself. Lawson, could we start with you? Um, how, did you how did you come to work on climate issues? Sure. Thanks, Ron. It's really great to be here, and I'm happy to be with colleagues from, from the area. My origin story, uh, as it were, really begins in the Ohio River Valley, where I grew up playing in the woods with my brothers. And I think that it's helpful uh, to remind myself that I've come from that background and that my love of the environment and sort of relationship to the environment started in those verdant woods. I think it's helpful for all of us to think about um, the beginnings of our own connections to, uh, to our planet. And here I am uh, almost four decades later fighting climate change every day uh, with a climate to thrive. Um, and so my connection to A Climate to Thrive started about a year and a half ago when I started uh, working. I'm the first executive director for an organization that's just celebrating its fifth anniversary. And we're growing fast. And in our first five years, our sort of many accomplishments have positioned us as a real sort of community leader in this uh, on MDI and also uh, th throughout the state in lots of energy related and energy, I would say sort of energy, sustainability and climate action. Great, great. Tony, could you tell us a little bit about Climate Action Net and uh, how you kind of came into this work? <clears throat> I'm a uh, retired professor and counselor for CUNY City University of New York, where I coordinated a peace studies program for a decade. I became a climate activist from a confluence of factors, or three factors, of the reality of climate science, a spiritual cosmology, or the Thomas Berry brand of cosmogenesis, and being part of the Reversing Fall Sanctuary community whose mission included raising ecological awareness. 
that's a that's a rich background, Tony. Tell us a little bit about Climate um, Action Net and and what you um, how that kind of all fits together. Well, Climate Action Net is a project based organization. We have a dozen or so counselors that we consult with. Uh, we have several student high school student interns that we work with. Uh, we've are in, you know have been involved in many projects. One is project is the greenhouse project where we built more than a hundred or helped to build more than a hundred greenhouses. We established a, a window dresses community build here for their uh, most of you know insulated window panels. Uh, a year or so ago, we uh, convened a major climate convergence conference. I'm happy to say one of our co-keynote people was Anya, who spoke. I hope you haven't forgotten that. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we do a, a lot of projects. Very important in the Climate Action Net is we have a website that has a lot of information. Uh, it has uh, videos. Uh, it has uh, bio, bio, biographies of the interns and so forth. There's just plenty of uh, information on our website. Great. Great. Martha Dickinson, um, you represent um, Ellsworth Green Action Team. Um, you've been um, involved in climate issues for a while. Uh, tell us how you got started and, and then more about um, what's happening in Ellsworth briefly. Sure. I mean, I, I enjoyed the thinking about your questions. I mean, I grew up in Kentucky and um, swimming in free, free running creeks that were later dammed and are now muddy orange messes. <laughs> And flying over the eastern Kentucky mountains and seeing strip mining and then mountaintop removal coal mining just really upset me. I learned about climate change or, or, or the climate when I was, a phys, I was a physics major in UK and you know, learned about this really interesting balance, complex system of the sunlight coming in, heating the earth. I mean, if it weren't for some greenhouse gases, we would be not existing, we'd be too cold. So, you know, this delicate balance that we have. And I, at, at that time, it, it didn't seem to be something to worry about in comparison with the threat of nuclear war. I thought we were all gonna die of <laughs> nuclear disaster uh, before I was 30. But anyway, as, as the years went by, you know, I, I'll just flip because I've done a lot of things, including a peace studies program at City University, uh, State University of New York at Albany, Tony. Anyway, um, and now I, I found myself retired in Ellsworth, and um, there was a the Ellsworth Garden Club and the Frenchman Bay Conservancy announced the beginning of a green plan for Ellsworth in uh, early 2017. And I had been already lobbying uh, uh, solar power for the city council uh, a few times, and so took that opportunity to, we joined with them a year later to uh, have committees on energy, alternative energy and energy efficiency, solid waste. And our, I don't know, I could go on and on now or I could come back to that. But so right now, the green plan of Ellsworth is this week and last week and next week, 
having presentations on Zoom that we hope people will come to. We're get trying to, we've finally written up a, a good draft of our green plan as a model community for Ellsworth involves a lot of things. So uh, beyond what I'm working on. So um, we're looking for feedback. So I would be happy to talk about that more later. Great. So again, there, there's a combination in your work of, of, of both projects and policy. You're trying to institute policy for the, the Ellsworth um, as a city. Um, That's right. Hank, what's your experience? How did you get involved in the Belfast area and the Belfast Climate Crisis Committee? Yeah, thanks, uh, and uh, thank you for inviting me to this uh, this uh, meeting. Um, my history goes back a ways, which is certainly somewhat relevant to to where I am now. But um, certainly, over many years, I've been an environmental activist. I grew up in California, um, moved to Maine uh, from Boston about. Um, seven years ago, and um, the way my activism really got uh, uh, sort of stimulated was that uh, I met Jonathan Fulford the first year I was here, and he was getting involved in a bit of politics, but his main interest, his main purpose was the climate crisis. Um, so I was inspired by Jonathan. We spent some time together. Um, and and the second uh, sort of step in that involvement involved the uh, appearance uh, about three years ago in Belfast of the uh, uh, our, our our new uh, uh, mayor uh, Samantha Parody, who uh, became mayor in 2018, and her main uh, interest, among many others, was was the climate crisis. So uh, the the climate crisis committee, which started as the climate change committee, um, kind of formed around Samantha and her uh, enthusiasm. And it came together with uh, half a dozen local residents. Um, and uh, we've, been, uh, we've, we've been functioning and active for three years now, going into our little longer than that. Um, and there's more to say about what we're doing, what our programs are, what our interests are, what our mission is, et cetera. Great, we'll come back to you, thanks. Sure. Anya Wright, um, uh, a student formerly at College of the Atlantic, now with um, Sierra Council, but also on the Maine Climate Council, uh, Sierra Club, rather, and the Maine Climate Council. Give us some of your background and how you got started in this work on climate issues. Sure. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. And uh, so honored to be a part of a panel discussion with so many other amazing organizers in uh, the Midcoast region. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Falmouth, right outside of Portland, um, so in, in southern Maine, and came up to Bar Harbor to attend school at College of the Atlantic, and that's really where my um, environmental activism started. I was currently raised as someone who, I mean, definitely raised as someone who cared about the environment, but really didn't start diving into um, the issues of climate change and climate justice until, until college. And so, um, yeah, started, started studying climate justice and climate science and got really interested in the intersection of climate change and social justice issues, um, especially as it pertains to the state of Maine. 
Um, I feel very connected to this state and, you know, hope to hope to spend the rest of my life here and um, really recognize that the state of Maine has an opportunity to really lead the nation and the world in, in climate action because of um, the roots of our state and how much uh, the people of our state really care about, about um, our natural world. So yeah, after um, getting involved in climate activism with College of the Atlantic, I got involved working with uh, a group called Maine Youth for Climate Justice, which is a coalition of youth from all over the state of Maine working on climate issues um, which led to my appointment as the youth representative to the Maine Climate Council. And um, yeah, after I graduated, I, I started working with the CR Club Maine chapter, and now I'm working as their grassroots climate action organizer, um, helping to organize local climate action all over the state, um, including in Bar Harbor, where, I, where I'm currently living. Great. Well, maybe we'll just um, briefly, some of you have already alluded to some of your heroes or heroines. Um, who, who, who inspires you? Anya, who, who uh, inspired you kind of coming up um, as a young person or, or more recently? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think I get really inspired by other young people working in uh, climate organizing I had the, the privilege of getting to work a bit with Greta Thunberg, um, the climate activist from Sweden, um, when I was with College of the Atlantic uh, at a, a UN climate conference. And she um, and all the other youth around the world that she has helped to mobilize have really inspired me to recognize you know, my own ability as a young person um, who grew up as a very quiet person who hated public speaking. Um, Tony, like remembering the climate convergence and speaking there, I was just so incredibly nervous um, and things have definitely changed since then. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I also get inspired by people that I meet in Maine all the time. Um, you know, Martha, during your introduction, talking about the comparison that you felt as a young person to nuclear war and climate change, I think like there's just so much uh, intergenerational inspiration that I get from working in Maine um, with people who have been, you know, activists their entire lives and have so much more knowledge than I do on how to create change. Hank, who were some of your um, briefly? Um, who were some of your inspirations? Who who inspires you? Yeah, well, you know, it goes way back, but uh, what came to mind, uh, Joanna Macy is one of my favorite inspirations. Uh, certainly Thomas Berry and uh, Brian Swim are also uh, beautiful beings who have a, a big view and a sensitive view of our place in our world, in our cosmos. Um, but I wrote down, at one point, I wrote down the feminine is my inspiration. So I don't want to talk more about that, but it certainly includes um, the women, the young girls, uh, certainly our planet, our earth, our beautiful earth. Uh, so I'm inspired daily by the beauty of our, our world. Mm, thanks, Hank. Martha, um, you mentioned growing up in Kentucky, and when you said the UK, you meant University of Kentucky. Um, you know, we, we have to translate for yeah, some of our right. friends, don't we? That's um, right. But Martha, who who inspires you or, or did inspire you? 
Well, when I thought about uh, locally, I was thinking in this community, many people have inspired me, including many that have been mentioned. But Richard Comp, I don't know if any of you knew him. He lived in this area. He, uh, I got to know him pretty soon after I moved here in the 90s. Like I moved here to teach physics and math at COA. And I taught a physics of energy class. I invited Richard to talk. And it turned out he was had Kentucky connections too. He had, he, and so we hit it off and... Um, he, he has had a career. He had a career of taking low-cost solar energy solutions to all over the world. He spent a lot of time in Africa, Central America, and also as well as Maine. So I had, you know, had him teach a class, and I helped, we had a Maine Solar Energy Association that, anyway, it was quite a thing. But he, he was just so inspiring because, well, he, he was really smart, and, and he could, but he just knew how to get these things done. He, and he unfortunately died a few years ago of cancer, mm. but uh, he was certainly an inspiration. Mm. We're talking with folks who can help us understand um, how we might tackle climate change at the local level. You've just heard from Martha Dickinson um, with the Ellsworth Green team. Um, also Hank Reisner from the Belfast Climate Crisis Committee. Um, Anya Wright from the Maine Climate Council. And um, I'm asking the same question of Tony Ferrara of the Climate Action Net and, and uh, Lawson Wilson of A Climate to Thrive. Tony, who, who has inspired you over the years? Of recent, uh, it's the youth that uh, has really inspired me. Uh, I mean, it's a truism to say that, you know, it's the passion, it's the, the concern, uh, the energy uh, of the youth, and it is a privilege to work with uh, with young people. Uh, I think that that basically is uh, what is inspiring me at, at this point. Mm, great, thanks, Lawson. Um, what, what are um, briefly uh, an inspiration for you? Sure. Well, uh, what comes to mind is um, is a member of our energy committee, Elaine Eaton. And our energy committee is made up of uh, real sort of industry experts. We have you know, retired professionals who have spent their careers uh, regulating utilities, working for utilities, um, developing solar energy and renewable energy systems around the country, really sort of high caliber thinkers and, 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 and movers and shakers. And that's not Elaine. Elaine is a local resident. She lives uh, in my neighborhood in Tremont and works the local school district. And for the last, I don't know, three or four years, she's been repeatedly asking the question, well, what about us? What about um, the people who aren't um, sort of high income and, and at the cutting edge and eager to put solar panels on their roof? Um, how, can, how can the rest of us get access to solar? And, uh, and so a couple of years ago, when the town of Tremont created a Solar Task Force, a municipal appointed uh, body to help develop the town landfill, uh, which has been capped to turn it into a solar project. Elaine was appointed as the chair of that task force, and she has successfully over the last about two years led the task force in developing the first subscriber-based community solar farm, um, which would be available to community members without, uh, without needing to put the upfront cost or take out a loan for ownership, um, which is what, the way m most models. And we're seeing that change throughout the state now and, and lots of subscriber-based 
community solar models are, are, are being developed and proposed and are in construction, and we'll see that sort of landscape change. But Elaine's a uh, real inspiration to me because uh, she's somebody who raised her hand and said, I don't know the answers, but I'm going to help figure it out. That's certainly the kind of spirit that all of you have represented um, in our conversation so far. Um, um, all of you at some uh, some point are working kind of to influence uh, local communities, uh, both the, the the governments of those communities as well as the residents and the small businesses. Um, where have you seen success? Um, Lawson, you've just described one of those successes. Is there any other particular success that you, you'd point to? Sure. Yeah. So I'll go to the other side of MDI to Bar Harbor, where during my uh, sort of application hiring process, um, even before I was fully hired by Climate to Thrive, I attended the Bar Harbor Town Council meeting where Anya and a handful of other students from COA and the high school testified in front of the town council and, um, and really asked the town council to take the lead, to step up and declare a climate emergency and act as if the town was on fire because our climate's on fire. And I have seen sort of leadership, and Tony talked about the sort of inspiration from, you know, from, from youth. And I think that that absolutely, I, I, I echo that. I also echo, echo or I, I would add a real inspiration from the Bar Harbor, Bar Harbor Town Council, who when asked to step up, they stepped, they stepped up. And they said, yes, we're going to take this on. We're going to appoint a climate emergency task force. This is hard work. We don't know how to do it, but we're going to try anyway. And over the last year and a few months, we've seen sort of a steady, sort of thorough process towards trying to implement change um, at the Bar Harbor level. Mm. Anya, how would you kind of tell that same story from your point of view as a member of that group that was presenting to the town council? It must have been a little bit intimidating. You know, there's a big dais and you're in the, in the, in the was this during COVID times or before COVID times? Tell us your experience. Yeah. So this was before COVID time. So there were, you know, maybe close to 200 people packed in our, our little town hall, um, which is, you know, something that is hard to think about right now. But um, yeah, it was certainly an intense pro- process. Um, but I think what was really special about it to me was that it was a truly youth-led um initiative and adult allies at A Climate to Thrive and at College of the Atlantic and in town really helped the students, um, you know, with all of the the background information and tools that they needed to, to win. But it was really the students that took it forward and, um, and made it possible. And it was definitely really encouraging to me as an organizer to watch um, how these high school students grew over a short time of, of organizing around this initiative and to see them after, um, after this win, um, you know, two of the students are studying climate science at UMaine. Um, you know, they helped to um, get solar on MDI high school. They started interning with a climate to thrive. They're doing their own, uh, work and so it's just so encouraging to see how these small local wins um, can snowball into such greater uh, impact. And I think 
you know, the same thing in terms of, of policy. We're seeing how, um, you know, change at the local level, just using, you know, climate emergencies as an example, is really snowballing all over the state and is, is leading, um, yeah, leading, um, leading to more statewide efforts for, for climate action. I'm going to go to Hank now. Um, Hank, you mentioned that um, the, the Climate Crisis Committee was really sparked in some ways by the mayor. Um, and h- how has been the interface between citizens and local government um, in terms of getting policy changes um, um, that Belfast uh, might be considering? Yeah, thanks. This is the uh, one of the stickier questions for me. Um, so we are a town committee. We are clearly volunteers, um, but we are in certain ways um, uh, responsive to the town council. And um, and yet uh, we see ourselves as relatively smart people and pretty well educated and certainly spending most of our free time on the climate crisis and either researching or learning or, or, or hearing from other experts. Um, and we, we, we really see ourselves as potentially as we could be called advisors to the town council. Um, in, in certain ways, we've, uh, we were asked immediately when we formed to uh, respond to the fact that Belfast is right on the ocean. And there was some awareness that there was a thing called sea level rise. So we immediately launched into a sea level rise report, which was quite thorough and presented to them. Um, but we were also asked to not be involved in some things. And that was a little disconcerting for us. Uh, and this is where it gets sticky. Um, many of you may know that there is a proposed uh, land-based salmon farm in Belfast. And we wanted to respond to that in its relationship to climate change. And we were asked not to by the city council. Uh, A little bit difficult in certain ways for um, us to really speak the truth and really talk about what's what's going on and and really recommending what we know and believe strongly from the science to be the necessary steps when we're being asked to not do that. So that's a challenge. That's been a challenge. Um, um, I would love to, uh, I mean, the the city council and the city of Belfast has taken steps before the creation of the climate crisis committee. Uh, There's solar uh, that is essentially uh, powering the the municipal buildings. They stepped out forward on that through their energy committee work, uh, certainly before we showed up. Um, And we've, uh, we've had an educational program that is essentially us um, arranging a public talks either at the library or online and, and bringing in experts to talk about things like solar power and et, et cetera. Um, and so those things are, are, are useful. We're connecting with the, with the citizenry about all of that, but there is a bit of a challenge. It feels to me like having an influence on policy is our sort of our biggest challenge. 
Right. And uh, I think all activists face this question. Do we do we act from the inside or from the outside? And you've you've just illustrated that uh, challenge very, very, very nicely. Martha, um, with the Ellsworth Green Plan, um, you know, you're you're that, that's before the town now and you're having uh, community meetings uh, via Zoom to learn about that. What are some of the policy changes that you would like to see happen in Ellsworth as a result of them adopting the green plan. Well, of course, we want them to first accept the green plan. Right. We're in trying. We're trying par- par- partly to inform the comprehensive plan, which has not been updated for way overdue time. Uh, so that kind of planning thing. But there are other things. I mean, we, like the municipal solar. We we promoted that since our beginning in 2018, and we finally got that. I mean, in a sense. I mean, it's not the same as they have in Bar Harbor, but they did. It, it, it has happened. We're working on community solar. We want to get their support for that. We're, you know, trying to figure that out. We still haven't figured out how to do that exactly. So we, but we do work with the city council a lot. But we, like the other thing that we've done with the city council in mind is, um, the uh, we had the um, single-use carry-out plastic bag ban. We worked really hard on that as a little subcommittee, and we had the cooperation of the city. Um, we had city planner, somebody from the city planner office we worked with, and we, we actually, you know, drafted an ordinance. We looked at all the ordinances around the state. This was, and we got one that we liked and we put it to city council and they agreed to study it. <laughs> and then uh, the next thing that happened was the, uh, the state passed one. So it, it was much like ours because one of our uh, members in our little committee is Nicole Gorhowski, who is our state representative. So we have on our little committee, we have Nicole, and she helped get that plastic bag ban through the state. And of course, that's in the law land right now. We don't know when it's going to be enacted, should be enacted this summer. But we know we worked really hard with that. And we did have the cooperation of the city. But in the meantime, the city uh, has changed somewhat. And it's, it is hard, but we've continued to try to, to be at city council meetings to put our things, our causes, and we are t- tried to balance between, you know, what they call low-hanging ha- fruit, things that we can do now, like roadside cleanups, weatherization, window dressers, all that. We try to do those things as well as continue to pressure and educate the public. We've had a lot of public programs on the extended producer responsibility bill that's in the main legislature now, I think is very important. And we have, uh, you know, our schedule is reuse, reuse, reuse. Great, great. So, Tony, um, you, your, your work has largely been um, project-based. Um, how do you think those projects um, kind of begin to inform how policy gets made? And policy is not just at the government level. Policy is, you know, any decision by a homeowner or a business person. But wh- how is the project-based work? Um, influence how people make decisions. I should say that I'm kind of amazed at the parallels between what's going on in Brooksville and the Blue Hill Peninsula and the issue of working from within or working from without. Uh, uh, We, I was part of a solar committee that was convened by the town of Brooksville And we recently did sign a contract with Revision Energy to uh, receive our, uh, the energy source from solar. Uh, 
Uh, I'm part of the sea level rise and climate change committee of the town. And we're looking, I think we're working first with a, uh, into a uh, sustainability study for the coastline. Uh, and we'll be moving on to wider uh, educational activities uh, at the way Hank uh, mentioned. Uh, but uh, one of the, uh, maybe I can just segue into one of the a major project that's coming up uh, for us is the intergenerational climate conversation. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up three demographic groups, youth, adults, and elders, and have them speak with each other. Uh, I, it's, uh, we describe it in some of our publicity as a rare opportunity for each generation to learn about each other and from each other for elders to discover what you think about the climate situation in which they find themselves, for youth to, to think about the climate situation in which they find themselves, the question for youth to find out how elders feel about the world they are leaving for the young, and for adults to explore how to mentor or parent young children who are becoming increasingly aware of uh, the climate crisis that they're in. Mm, great. Uh, it'll be moderated by uh, Rob Shedley and co-sponsored by the Blue Hill uh, Public Library. So we're excited about this project. It should do a lot of education if it comes off, you know, comes off, and uh, uh, it would also bring the generations together hopefully in a multi-generational uh, force. Great. Thanks, Tony. Um, just to remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this afternoon. Um, we're talking about how to tackle climate change at the local level. Um, you've just heard from Tony Ferreira, the Climate Action Net um, in the Blue Hill Peninsula area. Martha Dickinson is with us from the Ellsworth Green Action Team. Hank Reisner is with the Belfast Climate Crisis Committee. Lawson Wilson is with the Climate to Thrive, and Anya Wright is with the Maine Climate Council, among other things. All of you have mentioned um, the, the notion of education as part of what we need to be, be about. Um, what are some of the challenges with education? Do you find that folks are resistant to learning um, about climate? Um, what are, what are the, some of the challenges and perhaps some of the successes that you've seen in terms of helping people understand um, the, the climate crisis that we're in? Lawson, could we start with you about um, some of the things that you've seen? Sure. Um, I'd say that uh, it's hard to to characterize um, or, or try to, it's hard to answer your question, like, are folks interested or not? Because the truth is that there are some who are and some who aren't. And it's one of the really sort of rich successes of A Climate to Thrive has been our educational program. We provide monthly uh, public programming. Um, and those are wonderful events. And the attendees to those events consistently come away uh, sort of inspired and informed. The challenge, I think, and I don't have a good answer for this yet, but the challenge is that is, is broadening the audience and reaching those folks who aren't currently engaged. 
And I'm sort of curious if any of the other guests today have some experience or have had some successes broadening the audience and engaging folks who weren't sort of already on board. How do you bring new people into the choir or preach to those who aren't already in the choir? Mm. So what does it take to bring someone um, into the fold, so to speak, um, to make them aware? Uh, Tony, did you have a response to that question? No? Yes, maybe just a little variation of it. And that is, we come across people who are very open to the climate information. Uh, They see the situation, but they don't get engaged in collective action. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a conversation that uh, Bill McKibben reports where the interviewer was explaining, was asking him the question uh, in light of the uh, magnitude of the problem and the, you know, the smallness of the individual. What can an individual do to address this problem? And his response is, stop being an individual. And what he was pointing to, of course, is, you know, get involved in community, talk it up uh, and, uh, you know, see what you can do. So that notion of each one reaching someone um, in their own personal, with telling their own personal stories is one way to engage one another. What, you know, th- this conversation we're having here. Uh, Martha, talk a little bit about um, your, your uh, either challenges or successes of reaching out to people and bringing them into the discussion. All right. Yeah, I just want to, you know, I joined the, the Green Group in Ellsworth because of my interest in climate the climate crisis, doing something about that. But not everybody did. We, we, we include uh, groups on water, you know, drinking water, the Union River, food and farming, all kinds of things. Some people saw that what they were doing as just in itself for, good for the environment. And so one of our first, uh, you know, I was on the steering committee of the whole group. And, you know, I, I, I thought in our in original writings, we, we got to mention climate change. I mean, that's one of the key things. And we actually had to debate that for quite a while, several months, whether to convince everybody on the group, in the group that, yes, we could talk about climate change. It wouldn't scare, wouldn't scare people off. I mean, I think some people were afraid it would just scare people off. The city council, we know we have city councilors who don't accept it. So, you know, it's, it's a long road to go. In Ellsworth, anyway, I think we have a harder time than some of these other places. No, I, I don't think you do, and I think that that is one of the the keys to your success is that you have been able to create a, a big tent, um, so people who are interested in walking in the city of Ellsworth <laughs> are part of your group. Um, and they are thinking about walking from place to place, but that's also relating to how many cars are on the road. Um, Anya, do you have a response to Lawson's uh, question or or this relationship of education and bringing people in? Go ahead. Yeah, on I I could talk about this for hours, um, and so I'm I'm glad that this was brought up. I think um, you know the. The different opinions on on climate change that, um, well, no, I'll start over. Um, I guess you know, climate change has become a politicized issue. Um, is as a result of you know fossil fuel industries knowing that climate change was real, but not wanting people to know and running campaigns for years and years telling us that it wasn't an issue. Um, you know, politicians saying that climate change is a hoax um, 
our public school education not including uh, climate change in the curriculum until very recently. I know I graduated high school in 2015, barely learned about climate change. Um, so I think all that to say is that I think many folks who don't um, see climate change as an issue, it's not for lack of caring about our world or the people in it. It's a result of years and years of um you know, disillusioning campaigns um, that worked. And uh, so, so I think something for me when I, when I know that someone might not agree with me, um, I have been really working on just listening. Um, I think the special thing about working in Maine is that everyone seems to have a connection to our, our environment. Um, and I think, you know, a special thing about being human is that everybody loves something, um, whether it be their, their environment or their family or their grandkids or cooking or gardening. Um, everybody loves something and climate change is eventually going to impact everything. Um, and so I think, Listening and finding out what matters to people is the most important thing to me when when organizing um, in Maine. And I think sometimes I'm helping out a community with something that seems totally unrelated to climate change. Um, but really, I think learning that because climate change is such an intersectional issue that will affect everything, um, helping a community to become more resilient is helping them uh, prepare for climate change. And so I think dropping that expectation that people need to be doing what you think is, is uh, climate action is something that's been important for me when, um, when trying, when trying to bridge that divide. Right. And, and Tony's notion that um, the way to, to think about this is we're part of a community. And and uh, so that listening piece, Anya, that you've just brought up is really the the uh, the most important thing in terms of, of uh, creating community is to listen to one another. Hank, would you add anything to this uh, part of our conversation? Um, I almost cannot. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 Anya and Tony were quite uh, eloquent. Um, and and I but but the thing that came to mind before they started was how some of what my thinking and my approach is, how it's shifted is quite rapidly actually over the last few years. And, and, and as much as I love the science and I love science, um, that it, it has become more and more about human and, and connect, connection. It's, it's become more about our interconnectedness and, 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 and the word love, which is a very big word to be throwing around here when talking about the climate crisis, but is really a, 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 a much more, uh, in my mind now and in my heart, much more powerful approach than charts on, uh, charts on escalating temperatures of uh, the Gulf of Maine. Uh, that really human connection and life connection or, or people's connection with each other and the world around them. It, somehow those are the gates. Those are the gateways into these conversations. Uh, so th I think they spoke to that quite eloquently. Mm. Yeah. So I think um, I've heard um, connection to place 
and connection to other people. And there's a spirituality to all of this. This is spirit connected um, work. And um, that to me is how we get beyond um, the, the arguments, you know, because we can always argue about stuff, but if we connect things to the spirit and to the place that we, that we grew up in or that we love, um, usually we, we, we can find some common ground. Um, as we begin to, to uh, um, this has been a, a wonderful um, hour. Um, we're got another 15 minutes or so left. Are there things that you um, think we ought to be talking about before I ask you about some initiatives going forward? Are there other things that, that I've missed in my questioning before I ask you about um, what are some exciting initiatives going forward? I'm not seeing any response, so I will go to that, but you can you'll always come back. Um, Lawson, um, think about the things that that you have in kind of in the hopper, um, things that you're really excited about and, and share um, um, briefly one or two of those. Sure. I mean there's there's so much going on, but I'll I'll as you say, I'll I'll choose choose just a couple to highlight. Um, the first is an energy audit program that we're running through the sort of a countywide energy audit program. I talked with Tony a little, little bit about this in the past. It's really focused on small businesses. And of course, small businesses as defined on the federal level actually means quite large businesses in Hancock County. And, and so Climate to Thrive is helping uh, small businesses perform energy audits to help reduce energy consumption and uh, optimize energy generation. And I think that that our relationship to energy consumption um, as a community is one of the main uh, foci or one of the one of the ways in which we take action around climate change and supporting renewable energy projects uh, sort of larger. So in addition to the commercial energy audits, we're also helping uh, promote solar projects like the one that I talked about uh, sort of with Elaine Eaton in, in Tremont and some other projects in Southwest Harbor and Bar Harbor. So what's, um, what's, what's been the response of small businesses um, to, as you've reached out to them and asked them to say, would you consider an energy audit to save yeah, you it's some great. money? Yeah. Exactly. It's really, really uh, inspiring because these business owners want to do the right thing, but it's actually hard to make decisions and it's hard to know whether it's a better decision to install a heat pump or to insulate the basement wall. Sure. And those are the kinds of decisions that an engineer can really help provide some data that shows, well, if you insulate the wall, it'll cost X amount of money and it'll save Y amount of, uh, you know, kilowatt hours of, of electricity and it'll pay for itself in five years or 10 years and be able to compare those investments, the sort of upfront costs between different energy saving measures. And the business owners are really happy and eager for that kind of help and support and guidance that we can provide. Tony, in terms of of the work that uh, Climate Action Net is doing, you've already mentioned this wonderful intergenerational um, discussion. Are there other initiatives that you're particularly excited about that you haven't mentioned yet so far? Well, uh, we have, we're in the process. We've completed part of the process of creating climate note cards and these note cards i think lawson uh, received some of them and enjoying them uh, and they're paintings done by the eighth grade mount uh deer isle stonington high school uh eighth grade 
class. And uh, this was a class that was just a regular class. Remember Stonington, a lobster rural fishing village. Uh, the students were not in any way particularly turned on to climate change. The art teacher said to the, uh, the students, well, you know, okay, you're not interested, but why don't you just use your computer to do some research? They all, I mean, it's really extraordinary the, uh, that they chose all different areas or aspects of climate change, polluting the ocean, the heating. Uh, there's one picture of the earth in an ice cream cone that's melting that says, help me. Uh, and uh, the plastics in the ocean was very, but the students, it just shows me that, and following what Anya said, and I know Anya is very interested in climate education, uh, is that uh, if there is legitimate climate education in our school system, it would be uh, very, very valuable at helping to turn the tide. Uh, Great. Turning the tide, um, especially in Stonington, <laughs> really important. Martha, Martha, as you think about the things going forward, um, let's let's imagine that Ellsworth does adopt the green plan. What is really exciting to you about the green plan? Well, thanks. We we have uh, zillions of recommendations on what Ellsworth should do, and I will just focus on the ones I'm most passionate about, which I think we really do want to. We want to key in with the main climate council's goals and action plan. I mean, I think we're a bunch of volunteers for one thing. We, but some of the things we want to do is to have members of our citizens in an energy committee for the city council and in a solid waste committee. Those are our two things. But there are, um, and then things like the extended producer responsibility bill. We really want to get behind that. And, and do all that we can for it. But right now, I must say, the rollout of the, the presentations that we're involved in has been sort of taking all of our, all of our energy right now. And I just want to encourage everybody to check it out because we're looking for citizen input put right now. We, we, we've got a draft plan, and so it's not done yet. So okay. we want to, we've got it. We really spent a lot of hours getting it together, but we want, we're happy to get input. Great. So that's on... Tuesday and Thursday nights, go to greenellsworth.org. You can find how to get onto them. The Tuesday and Thursday nights are one. Tonight is on food and farming, for example. One on Thursday is on land. And then next week we'll have one on transportation, which will include walking and biking and cars and trucks. And then uh, next Thursday night would be our energy and solid waste. Great. Anya, I want to go to you in terms of, of your connection to the Maine Climate Council. Um, Martha has mentioned that the more that we can kind of create alignment with what's happening at the local level with that's happening at the state level. Are there some particular initiatives of the Maine Climate Council that you're excited about? Yeah, thanks. Um, so the Maine Climate Council came out with its uh, its official plan in December, and I encourage everyone to take a look at that. It's called Maine Won't Wait. And uh, it came out with all the recommendations that the council has for the state of Maine. And uh, within the next few months, I really hope that those uh, recommendations get uh, adapted to the municipal level. Um, so 
yeah, keep keep an eye out for action uh, steps to be taken by municipalities and cities. Hank, how about you? Um, are there particular things that are kind of on your um, agenda at the Belfast Climate Crisis Committee um, that um, excites you going forward? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, well, there are a number. Uh, so so uh, responding also to, to what was just said by Anya, we, we in our recent public meetings and in our uh, internally within our committee, our, our intent on uh, Belfast responding to and or adapting uh, or adopting the, the Climate Council recommendations. Uh, we, we would, uh, I personally would love to go further, to have have, have a, a local climate plan that, of course, is not separate from a regional climate plan. Um, but um, that that's certainly a great step. And we're uh, hoping that will, in fact, we will be we putting energy into that. Uh, a very local and immediate um, um, challenge, may, it may have been aware of this, that there's uh, some thinking and planning to expand the gas infrastructure to the mid-coast. And uh, of course, we are about to respond to that publicly. We're going to host a public meeting in a couple of weeks that is uh, some way of uh, having a forum, talking about it, hearing why that is either not a good idea or a terrible response to uh, the climate crisis. Um, we will certainly continue our educational programs as needed. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I'm excited about other things that partly I've heard here today that I'm also interested in, which has to do with um, somehow to be more involved, even though we are involved in the uh, with the local high school students. Some um, I think that conversation could be expanded in ways that both uh, Anya and Tony have talked about. Great. And Anya, you have some late breaking news about that um, discussion about moving um, uh, natural gas into the mid coast. Go ahead and give yeah. that very briefly, very briefly. Yeah, yeah, very much breaking news um, as of this afternoon on March 2nd. But uh, yeah, Summit Natural Gas announced that it will no longer be pursuing that project in the mid coast region this afternoon, um, which is great and very much a result of grassroots organizing and local organizing in the mid-coast area, which is just absolutely amazing. So very happy about, about that decision. Great. And just um, as if you want people to uh, know more about your organizations, um, uh, I, I assume that they could um, put your organizations in their search uh, boxes, uh, Climate to Thrive, uh, Climate Action Net, the Ellsworth Green Action Team, Belfast Climate Crisis Committee, and Maine Climate Council. So um, greenellsworth.org. Greenellsworth.org. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we've we've unfortunately come to the end of the uh, hour. Uh, I want to remind listeners to join us from four to five on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our program can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant from four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmay's House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests, Tony Ferrara of Climate Action Net, the Blue Hill Peninsula and the local islands there, Martha Dickinson, the Ellsworth Green Action Team, 
Hank Reisner from Belfast Climate Crisis Committee, Lawson Wilson of A Climate to Thrive, and Anya Wright of the Maine Climate Council. Uh, thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for helping engineer our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon. <laughs>